Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's great to be with you this morning, and for those of you turning in on the internet, um, it is my privilege to, as Pastor Todd said, be able to uh, lead the seniors group at our midweek Bible study. We do have a lot of great fun and fellowship and studying in the Word of God, but it is also an even greater honor to be able to bring the Word of God to you this morning. You know, this uh, is a, we're a very blessed church here in the sense that we have such a faithful pastor and Pastor Sherwood to take us through the scriptures. And over these last six weeks, as we've been studying through the first six chapters of Daniel, we've really been encouraged and dare I say, even challenged by some of the things that we've learned. And so Pastor Sherwood asked me to guest preach today on several key themes. I'm going to actually call them timeless truths that are presented in these first six chapters of Daniel that will help us to transition into the second half of the book, the last six chapters. And you know what those deal with, don't you? end-time prophecies. We've got a lot of real interesting stuff coming up. And of course, Pastor Sherwood will be back next week to continue our study in Dare to be Different with Daniel chapter 7. So we'll look forward to his return. But one other thing, I, I have to mention this before we jump into the sermon. You probably realize that this is Pastor Appreciation Month, correct? So I would like all of us as a congregation just to say maybe an amen or something for the glorious pastors we have in this church who serve us so selflessly and faithfully for the cause of Christ. So can I get an amen for them? Amen. Thank you, Lord. We really, really, really are blessed with the quality of pastors that we have. Okay, let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God of history and that you have kept for us and preserved for us your holy words, some of them thousands of years old, but Lord, words of wisdom that still apply today as we are going to find out very soon. Thank you for being with us every step of the way. Please bless this time for your honor and your glory, for we ask it in Christ's name, amen. All right, as I already mentioned, today we find ourselves at the halfway point in the book of Daniel, and this actually presents to us a unique opportunity where we can take a few minutes together to go over three specific timeless truths that we find in these first six chapters that will not only prepare us for the final six chapters of end time prophecy in the book, but which will also strengthen us here and now today to live the lives that our creator God intended for us to live. So the first of these three timeless truths that cannot possibly be missed even by a cursory reading of the first six chapters of Daniel is the fact that the God of the Bible, our God, is a sovereign God over all things. 
And when we use that term sovereign, that's kind of an old school word, isn't it? We don't use it in our everyday language. That means a God who not only possesses supreme power, but who also exercises supreme authority all throughout the cosmos as we know it. That's the first timeless truth. Second timeless truth conveyed in these first six chapters that, again, cannot be overlooked is that this same sovereign God acts in and intervenes in our own world's history. Now, we as humans tend to talk about something that's called secular history, right? You know, we have a past, we have a present, we have a future, and we tend to think that that's the only history that actually exists. Well, if you believe that, then you're missing out on something very important. It's actually a misnomer. Because did you know there's actually a second type of history that coincides and mingles with our own? Are you aware of that? Scholars call it sacred history or salvation history. And in a manner of speaking, salvation history refers to the acts of the eternal God as he works in our own finite time and space. We can see this. We can analyze this. I like to call these events, and this is just me, the footprints of God. And so that's what I've entitled the sermon today, The Footprints of God. That's not to say that he's literally leaving footprints, but I think you'll understand what, what I mean by this when we get to the end. Okay, our third and final timeless truth revealed in the first six chapters of Daniel is that when the sovereign God intervenes in history, his faithful followers, that's you and I, are not only called upon to act in accordance with his will, but we are also empowered to do so with the result that we can even influence, change, and alter history itself. Now, have I piqued your curiosity? I hope so, because this is the road we're going down together right here. And I hope you'll permit me just a few brief moments that we have today to share with you three examples of these three, we got a lot of threes today, timeless truths from the first six chapters that not only show us how wide-ranging and applicable these truths can be for us today, but they also show how ancient stories, such as those found in the first six chapters of Daniel, have modern significance for all the earth. So let's see. Let's see what you think about this. Let me give you the first example. It actually comes from Daniel chapter 1. In the very first verse, this is slide 2, we read these words. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, we might just read right past those verses because we want to get into the meat of the story. We want to learn about the lion's den and all that really good stuff, you know, from Sunday school. But if we do that, we miss something very, very important. Because in this very first verse, the sovereign God who has preserved for us his holy word over thousands of years has also provided for us an historical point in time and space when he acts in history on behalf of those who are his faithful followers. We know when this occurred. It occurred in the year 605 B.C. And so that we don't miss the point that it is God who is actually intervening into our own time and space, we read this in verse 2. It plainly states, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. Now, if that doesn't speak of God's sovereignty, I don't know what does. 
But in any case, we are then introduced to four young men who have been forcibly taken from their country, from their homes, from their loved ones, and they're cast into exile into a foreign country to serve a foreign king. And as part of their three-year indoctrination process, they are required to partake, in slide four here, verse five, of a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, end quote. Now, one of them, Daniel, takes a stand for God, and he refuses to partake of these delicacies. Now, that may sound strange to us, because if somebody came up to you and said, hey, here's some filet mignon and some lobster with drawn butter, I better not go there. I'm going to start getting hungry, so forth. I mean, we're not going to say no, right? But we have to understand that back in this context, in this time in history, these bits and pieces of food that are being offered and drink to these young men were sacrificed to pagan gods, to idols, not to mention the fact that probably they weren't kosher, you know, in the modern term of that, uh, term of that usage. On the one hand, to partake of these things, these delicacies, would have defiled Daniel and three friends that he has with him. But on the other hand, to stand in defiance of the king could cost Daniel his life. So what does Daniel decide to do? He decides to follow the will of God and to remain ritually pure. So, what does God do to aid his faithful servant and the three young men that followed his example? Well, verses 9 and 17 of chapter 1 state this. They relate that God brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with his captors and that God also gave, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in visions and in dreams. God placed these young men in a position that they would never have chosen to be in in a thousand years of time. But in doing so, he provided them with tools to accomplish his will. Now, by remaining pure and steadfast in their devotion to God, the God of the Bible, they were able to affect change in their surroundings as evidenced by the fact that in time they became the trusted advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar, probably the most powerful person on the planet at the time. Now, my friends, let me ask you a question here. How many times have we been enticed by the delicacies of the world? And when I say delicacies, I'm not just referring to like the pleasures of the world, the thing that the Bible calls the lust of the flesh and so forth. That's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is anything that calls upon us to compromise ourselves and become impure before our holy God, whether in body or in conscience. I mean, we're fighting that daily, aren't we? I know a person who is being forced into a certain situation at work to compromise his integrity and purity of conscience before God. If he didn't do so, there was the very real possibility that this person could have lost his job. He prayed fervently to the Lord for aid, took his stand for God and for conscience, just like Daniel and his friends did 2,600 years ago, and he refused to defile himself by complying with his company's wishes. The result? This person became a witness at his work, a beacon of light, if you will, for the gospel. And as it turned out, at least in this instance, he was allowed to keep his job. Praise the Lord. What I'm saying here, my friends, is this. 
Our sovereign God is prepared to intervene on behalf of all those of us who commit ourselves to him by remaining pure and unstained by the world. And oftentimes he does so by granting us certain abilities as well as the opportunities to use them for his honor and glory. That's example number one. Our second example of how our sovereign God works in our own time and space through those of us who choose to do his will in this world is found in Daniel chapter 2. Once again, we're given a time step for when this happened, when God acts. In verse 1 of chapter 2, slide 6, we read these words. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. And he's the king of Babylon, if you haven't been able to be in some of our sermons before. This would be about the year 603 B.C., when God is acting. In this instance, the king has some dreams that are disturbing to him. He dreams of a great statue that's made of different types of metals, you know, gold, silver, bronze, and so forth. And so he's disturbed by what the dream's revealing to him. And so what he does is he calls in all of his soothsayers and magicians and so forth, his diviners, to tell him what the dream was. He doesn't tell them their dream. He says, you tell me what my dream was, and then you interpret it for me. And of course, they come to him, they're unable to comply with this, and they even say to him in verses 10 and 11, slide 7, there is not a man on this earth who can tell the king's matter, and there is no other one who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. In response, what does the king do? Orders all of them to be killed all of them in the realm. And this includes Daniel and his friends as well. When Daniel hears about this, he requests that the king stay his hand just long enough so that Daniel can interpret his dream for him. And the first thing Daniel does, do you know what that is? Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2, slide 8. He gathers together with his three friends, probably remember their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember them? that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. In other words, these guys fall on their faces and they pray like there's no tomorrow because if God doesn't answer their prayer, there will be no tomorrow for these guys. The king will, will take care of that. Once again, our sovereign God intervenes in time and space to aid those who call upon him from a pure heart and a willingness to act once he answered them. Verse 19, slide 9, states this. The secret was revealed to Daniel, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. He praised the God of heaven. The result, Daniel not only describes the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, but he also provides the interpretation What does the king do? This pagan king, this unbelieving king, he falls down, prostrates himself before Daniel, and he says these words of verse 47 of chapter 2, slide 10. Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. That's quite a statement coming from the most powerful man on the planet who doesn't believe in the Jewish God, and in fact, who conquered their country and took all the temple vessels away with them. Brothers and sisters, chapter 2 shows us, among other things, that our sovereign God grants his trusted servants the means, listen carefully here, 
the means of revealing to an unbelieving person important information that could alter their lives forever. Now, hold on a second here, because you might be thinking, whoa, 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 Tim, are you saying to me that if I pray hard enough that God will actually allow me to interpret somebody else's dreams? Are you talking about something like that? No, not exactly. Can God do that? Yes, he did it once in history. He can do it again. But what I am saying, my friends, is something far, far, far more important and more powerful than interpreting someone's dreams. I am saying that each and every one of us sitting in this room this morning, in this sanctuary, who has placed our faith and trust in the sovereign God of the universe, who acts in time and space to aid his people, his chosen people, we already have the answer to the greatest mystery of all time. Do you know what that mystery is? How mankind who is alienated from their creator God can ever possibly be reconciled to him. What's the answer? You know if you're a Christian. The answer is Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension in, back into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God for the forgiveness of sins for those who have committed themselves to him in mind and body and spirit. We call this the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the good news. God became man in order that man might be reconciled to God. I mean, talk about life transforming. God has revealed this truth to us so that when it is shared with others, we can alter, possibly alter, their lives for all time and eternity in the future. You almost have to take just, just a moment to, to let that sink in. It, it's so sublime. All right. In our third and our final example this morning comes from chapter 3. We don't actually have a time stamp this time, but we do have a geographical reference of when God acts. In verse 1, it says that Nebuchadnezzar erects this giant 90-foot-tall statue. I mean, what, how tall is it? That's like over eight stories, nine stories high. But it says he erected this on the plains of Dura. We know where that is. It's about south, uh, six miles southeast of the ancient city of Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar then summons all of his top advisors to come to the dedication of this 90-foot-tall statue. As a part of the dedication, verse 5, chapter 3, slide 11, tells us that when the orchestra starts playing, everyone who is attending must fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, this probably not only entailed worshiping the God that that image was representing, we don't know, but for sure, it was also pledging allegiance to King Nebuchadnezzar as the sovereign lord of the entire Babylonian empire. In other words, the people are pledging allegiance to king and to country. Whoever does not obey this command to fall down and to worship the statue when the music starts playing, in verse 6, slide 12, will be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Well, the music starts playing, and everyone bows down, right? No. Three men do not bow the knee. You know who they are. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Certain of the Babylonian officials notice this. They rush over to King Nebuchadnezzar and start accusing these three young men, something maybe what we might call today treason, sedition, you know, whatever. They start accusing these men to the king. Nebuchadnezzar brings them into his presence and he gives them an ultimatum. He says, either bow down and worship the gods authorized by the state or else pay the ultimate penalty. Did they succumb to the pressure of the state? No. Why? Because they knew intimately the sovereign God who acts in history on behalf of those who are wholly devoted to him. In fact, they proclaim such words in verses 17 and 18 in slide 13. This is what they say. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery burning furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Well, Nebuchadnezzar is a man of his word. You got to grant him that. And so he tosses him in headlong into this fiery furnace. But then something miraculous happens. God intervenes. Instead of perishing in these heated flames, one who has the appearance of a son of the gods, these are Nebuchadnezzar's words, not not mine, one whose appearance is like the son of the gods appears in the midst of the flames and protects the three of them from harm. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, is so taken aback by this that God's obvious presence in protecting his three young men that he proclaims in verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who set his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. This is the king of Babylon, the sovereign lord of all the earth for all intents and purposes. A pagan unbeliever acknowledging and praising the God of the Jews, who also happens to be the God of the Bible, who also happens to be our God and Father. Isn't that amazing? All of this because of one act of obedience by three faithful followers of God. My friends, Daniel 3 shows us, among other things, that the sovereign God of the universe, Yahweh by name, has the power to protect those of us believers who are required to make a stand for what is right, even in the face of a government or any authority for that matter, that demands things from us that are contrary to our will and to, to the will of God that we seek to live out in this life. In other words, anything that goes against our Christian conscience. Now please, listen carefully here. I am not saying that when we're asked by God to stand up for him, to make a stand for him, that he will always miraculously and supernaturally deliver us from a dangerous situation. Sure, he has the power to do so, but that doesn't mean that he necessarily will. But what I am saying is that whether he does or does not deliver us physically, Nevertheless, you can count on the fact that he will be with us through that ordeal to work the situation to his honor and glory if we are willing vessels through whom he can work his will. Now, you may think that something like this can never happen in the United States, what we're talking about right here. Things like that, death of Christians and so forth, that's all that only happens in third world countries and so forth. And 
to be true, I guess, that most of the time we read about it, it is happening in a foreign country. But what about all the hate crimes we've been reading about in the last couple of years? You know what I'm talking about. Churches getting together and they're being bombed or burned or maybe they're having a prayer meeting and gunmen come in and shoot them down. What about something just a couple of weeks ago? A global day of rage against Christians and Jews and so forth? That's not so far away. And I'm not speaking just about facing death for Christ either. What about legislation about things like identity and gender and stuff like that? That's, it's actually getting hard to understand who each and every person is and how to speak to them. In, in dividing individuals up into so many different identities, we're forsaking the one identity that God has given or offered to everybody on the face of this earth. I know who I am. I am a child of God. I know who my father is. We've just been speaking about him for the last 20 minutes. He's the God of history, the sovereign Lord of the universe, who frequently intervenes in my own personal life to give me opportunities to honor and glorify him because I am willing, even though I'm weak, and I will admit it, I'm weak, he still uses me because I'm a willing vessel. And you know what I'm talking about, I believe. Mark my words, brothers and sisters, a day is coming and probably isn't far off when we will be called to make a public stand for our faith in Jesus Christ. And what a glorious day that will be. Now, we could go on and on like this through Daniel's chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6, where the king becomes insane, where the last king in Babylon sees a supernatural hand writing his demise on the wall, and where Daniel's thrown into the lion's den. But all of these chapters substantiate these same three timeless truths, that our God, the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ, is the sovereign Lord over the entire universe who intervenes in history through the lives of those of us who are willing to do His will on this earth, and especially during times of crises. This was true in the time of Daniel. It is also true in our own time. But in our own time, we have one tremendous advantage that Daniel and his friends did not. Now here, if you haven't heard anything else, but I know you have, Please listen to this because this is where everything's been heading from the very beginning. Never, please, never, ever, ever underestimate what you can do for the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter whether you're nine years old or 90 years old. Do you understand? I mean, do you truly understand the power that each one of you has as a Christian at your disposal, given to you by the living God? You've all probably heard about the temple in the Old Testament, the tabernacle in the temple. Tabernacle is just a smaller uh, portable temple and so forth. What did that represent? What did it symbolize to the people? It was the place of God's presence on the earth. It was where God dwelled among his people. It was his holy place, if you will. And by virtue of his presence, the temple was considered to be holy ground. We have actually sung something about that in, the, in our worship service. The Apostle Paul says something. He asks this rhetorical question. It's very important for us this morning. This is slide 15. For 1 Corinthians 6.19, he asks this question. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Now, let me share something with you you might not know. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is often portrayed as clothing, like putting on clothes, clothing a person temporarily with power 
so that they could perform the will of God. We Christians today, however, have the Holy Spirit dwelling permanently within our tabernacles, our bodies. Therefore, we are holy. Wherever we go, wherever we walk, holy ground goes with us. And we have the eternal power of the Holy Spirit upon whom we can call for help at any moment of the day or night. Now, here's the most important thing of all. If you are a professing Christian and you walk into a church, you bring with you the holy, healing light of life, of hope, of love, of reconciliation. If you, as a professing Christian, walk into a place of darkness, a place of ill repute, whatever, as a professing Christian, you also bring with you the holy, burning light of judgment, of condemnation, and righteousness. In other words, if you are a professing Christian, You are like a miniature, ever-blazing star striding through the corridors of the darkness of this world, radiating with the brilliance of the light of the glory of the sovereign God who worked in the lives of Daniel and his friends 2,600 years ago and who works in our lives right now, 10 o'clock in this morning. He's the same God yesterday that he is today, And he will be the same God into the eternal ages beyond as he is right now. Can I get an amen from everybody on that? (laughs) Can I have the worship team come up? This is amazing. In essence, you have the power of the creator God in you to change history. At least insofar as you share your faith with others to influence and to change their lives. But you cannot do this unless you act. I don't know how many times I've said this in my ministry or depending on how many days of breath I have left, how many times I'll say this again. Faith is not simply a noun. Faith is predominantly a verb. It needs to be used and exercised and wielded. Use it for the glory of the sovereign God who intervenes in history through the lives of his faithful people to glorify him. It is truly amazing what modern significance such ancient stories as these 2,600 years ago can have for us today from the first six chapters of Daniel. I just hope and pray for you, my friends, that you will start reading these passages, not just in Daniel, but in the whole Bible, with renewed vigor and from this new perspective of power that you actually possess and can wield because the Word of God truly is living and active. Go in peace, beloved and in power, shall we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a God who indwells us. Thank you, you are a God who considers us worthy enough to bear the light of eternal life within ourselves. Help us to be bold and look for every opportunity to shine that light in the darkness of this world because we are placed here to bring honor and glory to you and you will give us those opportunities. Thank you for this time this morning, for your word of power. May we go forth striding through the dark corridors, shining for you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. 
Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.